Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And as I'm talking, I'm going to ask the younger group to come up, Generation Jesus. We're uh, happy to have them be able to share a song with us this morning. And so I'm going to help them uh, set a couple things up, and then we look forward to hearing them. This morning, it is our privilege to worship and learn about our amazing God and Savior. This, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave the Apostle John. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. Our God is an awesome God. When I, John, saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Our God is an awesome God. And John saw a mighty angel shouting with a loud voice, Who is worthy? And the living creatures and the elders fell before the Lamb of God and sang a new song, saying, You are worthy. beginning God created the heaven and earth and the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the over the surface of the waters then God said let there be light and there was light in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. As the prophet Isaiah states, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And all the people said, Amen. That was great. Um, I just have a couple of announcements and, and reminders. The main uh, thing I want everyone to remember is this week is our kickoff for our fall ministries. So that means Wednesday night, we'll be kind of back to our in-school uh, schedule with Awana and uh, youth group, junior high and uh, high school, and uh, we start with a meal. So um, towards that end, I'm going to have, uh, I have a couple of guys coming up to just kind of commit our fall ministries to prayer. So if Bob and Mark, uh, you guys want to come up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be ambassadors for Christ, and we just Look forward to the start of the ministries this week with the youth, young people in Awana and youth group, and our desire is to see them drawn into a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ, and so we just pray for the volunteers, um, the many that are going to be working with these young people, just fill them with your spirit and your word, and just make their their efforts and their love a blessing in the lives of these little ones. We would take the time, too, to look to you for your leading as we seek to bring someone with a pastor's heart for these young people into our uh, service here at Creekside, into your service 
Um, and we just pray that as the search committee searches and we seek to be led by you, that you would also be preparing somebody to come serve alongside us in that role as a, a pastor of the youth here and uh, seeking to make disciples of Jesus Christ for this next generation. Uh, we just thank you that we can look to you for help in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Lord, we just <clears throat> sang that you're an awesome God and you reign. And we ask that you would do awesome things in our youth and children's ministries this year. That as we open our doors and invite youth and children in, that your spirit would be at work through us leaders and helpers to minister the gospel of Christ and show your love to these children, that they would come here and feel loved and safe and experience the joy and knowledge of salvation in the Lord. We pray that young hearts would be turned to Christ, that they would receive the gospel and be saved. And Lord, that this would be a fruitful ministry, that this would be a, a great time of growth and excitement for our church as we come together on Wednesday nights. Lord, just fill this place with uh, young hearts, young lives that need to be uh, hearing the gospel and, and have their minds tuned to you in, in a dark world. And we just commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Those who are a part of our Sunday school ministry, you are dismissed uh, upstairs to your class time. And uh, also, if you have any interest at all in, in being a part of the Iwana ministry, please stop by the table uh, out front in the entryway. There's always a need for some uh, patient adults to just uh, sit, uh, listen to kids to recite their verses and, and just uh, help, and it's a, it's a great blessing. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Steve. Thanks to our praise team and for the uh, Generation Jesus. That was pretty cool. Appreciate them coming and sharing with us this morning. I want to uh, say if you are here, if you're a guest for the very first time, there is an additional flap on the bulletin there. So if you would fill that out and put it in the offering box uh, out in the, on the welcome table, sure appreciate that if you do that for us this morning. I would have a record of your attendance. And uh, just uh, want to say thanks to um, the, uh, the group that's been so, I guess it's the uh, Carter gals for uh, organizing the Generation Jesus and for all they do to make that happen. So appreciate them. I, I know that some others help out, but sure appreciate you gals uh, doing, doing that for us this morning and all the time. So the, if you're interested in that, uh, please see them. They're right up here in the front row. So grateful for that. Uh, I'd sure appreciate it if you would worship with me through the prayer as we go to the Lord, waiting for him to do his work. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. I thank you for uh, the fact that we do serve an awesome God. In spite of our weaknesses, you are great and awesome, and I pray that we would give you honor and praise today, that you would be magnified and that you would be exalted through what's said and done here this morning, uh, through the study of your word. And I pray that you'd speak to each of our hearts. Lord, you know what we need. Uh, move by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to say a couple of things here. They may not be the most popular things to say, but I'm going to say them anyway. Uh, this past week, uh, Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor in the state of Georgia, 
was, uh, I don't know if she said it this last week, but recently she was quoted as saying this with regard to the recent Supreme Court decision, the, the Dobbs decision, which overturned uh, Roe versus Wade, and she was quoted as saying this. She said, I was trained to read and understand the Bible, and I will tell you this, there is nothing about the decision to eliminate access to abortion care that is grounded in anything other than cruelty and meanness and danger. Now, Probably even more disturbing than that statement that she made, which was basically criticizing the Supreme Court decision, was the applause that she received in a church uh, for the statement. You all know that, uh, most of you probably know, that our, our president signed uh, an executive order that's uh, slated to uh, forgive $10,000 of college debt to a certain group of people in the United States. And uh, that was recently done, just done last week, uh, as I remember. And so putting the statement that the borrowers are saying that the people who borrowed the money are now not going to have to pay that money, but the people who will pay the money are the rest of the taxpayers that, who, didn't, who didn't borrow the money. And I say this because it seems to me that that is a, uh, an immoral decision based on a couple of different things. First of all, I think it's immoral because it uh, transfers responsibility from the people who made the commitment to those who didn't make the commitment. I think it's an immoral, state, uh, immoral action based on the fact that it encourages other people to uh, borrow money, hoping that they will not have to pay it back. And thirdly, I think it's immoral because it's, in effect, taking money from people who uh, it's basically stealing. Um, now you can argue with me. And I don't say these things to be political, okay? Um, I say these things because it seems to me that, as I stated last week when we began this study in the, in, uh, looking at Hezekiah, it seems to me that these are examples of within the church and with outside the church of God, His Word, and His people being opposed. These things are in opposition to God, His Word, and His people. And it's kind of discouraging sometimes. You wake up and you read the newspaper and you go, what in the world's going on in this world? What's going on in this country? But the message we had last week, which we're continuing this week, is don't lose hope. Uh, stay hopeful. Stay hopeful. We have an example here in the Old Testament that gives us encouragement that we don't need to lose hope. And it's, it's the guy by the name of Hezekiah. And I want you, if you have your Bibles, we're going to continue in, in uh, 2 Kings Chapters 18 through 20, okay? We started there last week. We're going to finish there this week. And we're going to see that in Hezekiah's life, from his example, there are three activities that mark out those with whom, with a heart whom God hears and who he helps. And this should give encouragement. I hope it gives encouragement to you and me as we, we live in a world that's kind of difficult. I'm going to read a portion of the text I didn't read last week. So if you have your Bibles or your, your device or if you want to reach under the seat in front of you, there should be a Bible there. And go to 2 Kings. And I'm going to begin in chapter 19 with uh, verse 8. Okay, now we're picking up the story where Hezekiah has been told that uh, the... They're, they're going to invade, and when Hezekiah heard that uh, the king of Assyria said that he's coming against him, he, he tore his clothes, and he went before the Lord, and he sought uh, Isaiah's assistance and help, and uh, God answered Hezekiah through Isaiah and said, don't worry about it, it's not going to happen, and I think 
Hezekiah probably told Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, that, okay, I'm not sweating it because God's going to take care of us. And this resulted in a reply beginning in verse 8 of chapter 19. Then Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. When he heard them saying concerning Terhakah, the king of Cush, behold, he has come out to fight against you. He sent messengers to Hezekiah. Now, so there's a, a war going on somewhere else. And the king of Assyria is busy with this war. And the emissary that he'd sent, this Rabshakeh, who had been sent to Judah to scare him, heard about it. And now he's saying, oh, hey, uh, I got business to take care of back here with these guys in Judah. So here's what I'm going to tell them. So he sent a messenger again to Hezekiah saying, Thus you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. And I think that's why it seems logical that Hezekiah had told him what God had said in verses 6 and 7 that Assyria is not going to invade. So he says, Don't let him deceive you whom you trust and deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the king of Assyria, kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So will you be spared? Did the gods of those nations with which my fathers destroyed deliver them from Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the sons of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad and the king of the city of Shepharvaim and of Hena and Eva? Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who, are in th- you are, who is enthroned above the cherubim. You are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they are not gods. But the work of men's hands, wood and stone, so they have destroyed them. And now, O Lord our God, I pray, deliver us from the hands that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Then then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard you. Now I want you to go down to verse 28. And this is what Hezekiah is saying is going to happen to Assyria. Because of your raging against me, that is, Assyria's raging against me, the God, and because of your arrogance has come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and, I, and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. And then this shall be the sign for you, the sign for Judah, shall, that they shall eat this year what grows itself, the second year what springs from the same, and the third year sow, reap, plant, and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall take uh, again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and out of Mount Zion survivors. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come to this city or shoot an arrow there, neither shall he come before it with shield nor throw up a mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then it it happened that night that an angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived in Nineveh. And it came about as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adramelech and Sherezer killed him with the sword. And they escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, became king in his place. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly, and it came about before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the land of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And then Isaiah said, take a cake of figs and they took it and laid it on the boil and he recovered. Now I know that's a lot. Don't worry about it. In the Old Testament, they used to stand up. Everybody would stand up and they'd read the scripture for like uh, three hours. So uh, it's all good. Interestingly enough, in chapter 20, I I included chapter 20, verses 1 through 7, because if you remember as I read it, he was sick and he was told he was going to die. And then in verse 6, it says, and don't worry, the king of Assyria is not going to come up against you. Well, because he got sick and he was told he was going to die in the middle of, or at the beginning of the attack by the Assyrians against Jerusalem. So when in the 14th year of his reign, there was this attack that was coming against him, and then he was told 15 years was going to be added to his life, and he reigned for 29 years. And so we see that it wasn't just the the internal uh, uh, turning away from God by the people of Judah, it wasn't just the Assyrian army that was pressing him from the outside, but it was also a terminal diagnosis that was facing Hezekiah. So last week we got started and I said there are these three activities that mark out uh, those with a heart whom the Lord hears and helps. And the first one is that we exercise reverence for the Lord. Now I, I asked Megan to take the outline that I'd given you last week because I realized I was kind of going through it and I didn't really fill in the blanks, maybe. And so some of you who are a little bit compulsive about that might have been freaked out. So we, we filled out in the blanks and uh, <laughs> filled in the ones that were supposed to be filled in and then maybe you can catch up uh, with the rest. And if I miss any, come to me. I have it manuscripted so I can fill the blanks in for you, okay? So first of all, we talked about the, the reverence for the Lord. 
And the reality of our reverence is twofold. Hezekiah sets an example for us. And he challenges us to emphasize personal purity. And so we talked last week about what are we doing in our own personal lives to encourage personal purity, personal devotion to the Lord? How are we prioritizing corporate worship and, and personal worship and promoting our, our reliance on Him? So what are you doing? Well, you're here. Good. That's good. Okay, so you're, you're promoting uh, corporate worship and you're personally worshiping, I hope. Are you spending time in the Word of God? Reading it and then, and, then, and then meditating on it and then uh, trying to apply the truth of, of what God's Word says. Developing within you a, a biblical worldview. What does God's Word say about how we should process all that's happening in the world so that we're not freaked out, so we realize that God really is in control. We do serve an awesome God. Or are we just kind of taking everything based upon the, what the world has to say. Secondly, Hezekiah challenges us to eliminate impurity. And we talked last week about the elimination of purity is the pursuit of purity, but it's also the putting off of what would drag us down, what would turn us away from being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so I asked this question, so what forms of rebellion and what forms of idolatry do we have that personally that we've become accustomed to or that we're practicing that need to be confessed? What needs to be put off? Is there resentment in our hearts that would be a form of sin against God that needs to be put off? Is there jealousy? Is there criticism, just a critical spirit that keeps us negative towards other people? A lack of forgiveness, someone that I just am choosing not to forgive. Maybe it's, I want to be powerful. I want to be the most important, powerful person in my job or at my workplace or in my family or in my community. Maybe it's an obsession with social media, you know. Okay, I stepped in it last week because my, my daughter told me that I should not have told the parents uh, uh, how to parent their children. I said something about you know, the, the danger of uh, giving your kids cell phones before a certain age. And uh, so, but, but I, my, my thing is, let's don't become obsessed with, don't become obsessed with um, social media. And that's not just a kid thing. I don't know about how it is at your house, but uh, when we have family gatherings, it's a lot of this. I'm going, what is this? Do we not know how to talk to people anymore? Well, we're texting. <laughs> oh, good. You know, I don't know about you. I do not like text threads this long. Just call me, okay? I get lost in it. I, I don't, well, you know, I'm, okay. Obsession with, it can be an idolatrous thing, okay? Pornography is an issue. It's probably uh, one in five of the guys here have a problem with it. It can be an issue. But with the Spirit's help, we can overcome. Okay, that's the point. So there is this expression of uh, we exercise reverence for the Lord. That's what Hezekiah did. Then we express reliance upon the Lord. There's this dependence upon the Lord. And there are two circumstances that he faced, that we face, in which we can express reliance upon the Lord. First is the fear of danger. Now remember, the situation was bleak. 
spiritual degeneracy within the nation. Dragging him down. His dad was a real knucklehead. Uh, Hezekiah's dad was one of the worst kings in, in, in all of Judah. Okay? And then there was this oppression from a superior military force. Like, you know, we can't outdo these guys. And then, I just said, he was, he was sick as well. And so I ask us to think, what, uh, as we encounter this spiritual opposition, where do we encounter spiritual opposition? Well, some of us encounter spiritual opposition if we're parents through rebellious children. Some of us who are children encounter spiritual opposition through oppressive parents. Some of us have family members that are not real keen on our Christianity, you know, and they look down upon us as the religious freaks in the family or the religious fanatics, you know, the people who are these Jesus freaks. And I, just something to keep in mind. If, if somebody is a fanatic, it just means they love Jesus more than you do. Okay, That's, uh, that can be one of the things. You can just say, okay, I'm a fanatic. Uh, well, you're, do you love Jesus more than me? It can be hostile external forces. It can be some of these things like I mentioned before uh, as I opened the sermon. The forces that hostile against us from the outside. It can be trying to strip us of our religious liberties. It can be policies and procedures and the things that are put in practice that offend us as believers. There is no exemption for religious exemption for getting a vaccination. What's that about? That can be a, a form of, of infringement. Or it could be a hostile employer. In the midst of all this, are we going to trust God like Hezekiah trusted God? He gave us that example. And uh, remember I said in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 7, if you haven't written that verse down, you should read that verse. Read verses 7 and 8 in 2 Chronicles 32, okay? He says, do you, do you not know the one who is with us is greater than the one who is with him? That's our God. That's our awesome God. And there are three responses to danger that we see in, in chapter 19. Uh, you look at verse 1, what did he do? He rent his clothes. What does it mean when you rend your clothes? Well, it means you humble yourself. It means that there was grief and anguish as the messengers brought the news. He was pleading for mercy. He was pleading for mercy from, from God. Uh, this day, if you look at chapter 19, verse 3, it says, And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress and rebuke and rejection. He feared that God was punishing them for their sin and that God was going to reject them as, as his people. And he was pleading with God. And then he sent, he sent for Isaiah's input. Okay, who's the most spiritual guy in the neighborhood? I want to get his input on what's going on. I want to find out from God. He was the prophet of God. I want to find out what God's take is on this. In view of what was happening. Now this is important, I think, in the whole context in Isaiah uh, and that Isaiah is, is given information on. And notice how Hezekiah frames it in verse 4 of chapter 19. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach whom? Who's he reproaching? The living God. What is he doing? All of this mocking of the people of Israel and saying, oh, this God will not come up. It's a reproach against the living God. Okay? He asked 
God to defend his own honor. He asked God to deliver his people for his honor. Because he believed that God works, just like Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, that God works on behalf of those whose hearts are turned to him. So you say, what's that have to do with me? Well, you ever in danger from hostilities, from opposition, or from other things? God cares about the people who have his heart. And another thing that struck me here is, he prayed for relief from these people as we pray for relief. As we ask God to rebuke his enemies, the word of God also teaches us that we should pray for their repentance and salvation. Not just their ruin. <laughs> God's not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. So, Sometimes I don't do that. And you know, I'm wondering if you do. It's like sometimes I just want them to, you know, God, just get rid of this person. You know, just take them out. You know, just, just get them off my back or change this way of thinking. No, these people are lost people. The key to transformation of our culture is not politics. It's a person. His name is Jesus. When that person, Jesus, becomes the most important person in our life, when we turn our life from a sinful self-direction to trusting in the Savior, then it changes. He's our Lord, so we live for Him. And when we live for Him, then transformation takes place. And so I don't want to just pray for my enemies. I don't want to just pray for relief. I don't want to just pray, pray for rebuke of my enemies. I want to pray for their repentance, not just their termination. And the prophet brings good news in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 19. Hey, don't be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So when Hezekiah heard that, I think he told the king of Assyria, oh, buzz off, buddy. I'm not worried about it because God's got us. God's got our back. Because he was with us is greater than he was with them. And then we get into where we were started in chapter 19, verse 8. Rob Shaka didn't like that, so he sent a letter. And what is the next thing he do? So he rent his garments. Then he sent to Isaiah to find out what was going on. And then we see that he went to God in prayer. Look at chapter 19, beginning with verse 14. And here we see that Hezekiah teaches us, I think, some important lessons about prayer. And the first thing we see about prayer is he proclaims God's sovereign identity. In verse 15, notice how he addresses God. When you go to prayer, when I go to prayer, how do we go to prayer? Well, you know, it's a bad day. Uh, I, I'm, I'm stressed out. Uh, please get rid of my stress. Uh, my kids are driving me nuts. I don't know what to do. Um, so give me some wisdom here. Notice how Hezekiah goes to prayer. Verse 15 of chapter 19, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and he said, 
This is what he said. O Lord, the God of Israel. God is a personal God. He's the personal God of Israel. He's the personal God of everyone who has a personal faith through a trust in Christ, has turned from their sin and trusted God. He's our God. But notice he didn't stop there. He says, you are in, you, you are in, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God alone of all the kings of the earth. He's the supreme ruler of the earth. He's a personal God. He's the supreme ruler of the earth. And then he is the sovereign Lord and creator of everything. That's the next phrase. He says, and you are the one of the earth and you have made heaven and earth. He's personal. He's supreme. He's sovereign. And then in chapter 19, verse 16, he's the living God. He said it in earlier in chapter uh, 4, 19, verse 4. He's the living God. So he's living. He's alive. He is an awesome God. He is the God. And he's not the work of man's hands. You see, all through this whole thing, uh, God is demeaned by the Assyrians. He's reproached. He's insulted. This last, well, I don't know, I don't know when it happened, but it happened recently. There is a, um, a rather famous Christian author, who, a female, who was discussing uh, about how God was, she, there were some things that they felt, she felt blessed by that God was doing, and she made a reference to the fact that she felt like Jesus uh, had a crush on her. I don't know. It just didn't strike me really well. So Jesus, the God of the universe, if you're a girl, Jesus is not your boyfriend. Okay? And if you're a dude, he's not like your, 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 your hangout buddy. He is your friend. It seems to me that we've lost the idea of the holiness of God. Who is it that we worship? Interesting when Isaiah, who is a contemporary, obviously he's the one that Hezekiah went to, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. When Ezekiel saw the vision of the king of kings, he fell on his face and he worshipped. This morning, you just heard read from Revelation chapter 5 about what the response was to the angels before the throne of God. How did they respond in the presence of God? Holy. Holy, holy. And they fell down and they worshiped the king of kings. He's my boyfriend? I don't think so. How are we taught to pray? Jesus, teach us to pray. What does Jesus teach the disciples? Teach us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy, or King James, hallowed is your name. And that part of the prayer is a declaration. He is holy. He's not to be treated 
frivolously. Yes, we can come boldly before the throne of grace, but we are not to come flippantly before the throne of grace. And Hezekiah teaches me, he teaches you, to come with reverence and respect before this God. Secondly, he, he petitions God directly and respectfully in verses 16 through 18. He asks God to take notice. I like the, the way he phrases it. He says, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Take notice. Listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to do what? To reproach the living God. Now, what, what words is he talking about? Take your Bibles. If you haven't, you can turn back to chapter 18, verse 22. Here's what Rob Shaka was saying. But if you, you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God. Is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before the altar in Jerusalem? Now look at verse 29 of chapter 18. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he, the king of Assyria, deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from my hand. Verse 30. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be given into, into his hands. Now go down to verse 33. Has anyone of the gods of the nations delivered this, his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Shepharvaim and Hina and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. And chapter 19, verses 10 through 12, he basically repeats the same thing. Second Chronicles 32, 17 through 19 says that Sennacherib wrote the letter that Isaiah or Hezekiah read and went to God in prayer about to, to insult the Lord, the God of Israel. So the God of Hezekiah shall not deliver his saying that the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And the servants of the king of Assyria said, spoke to God, spoke of the God of Jerusalem as of the gods of the peoples of the earth. In other words, he was basically saying, your God's no different than these other gods. He's just a worker man's hands. <laughs> and look at these other dudes. I mean, these other places, they, they've, they haven't been successful. So what makes you think you have it? Now, now in Hezekiah's prayer, in verse 17 of chapter 19, he says, Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations of their lands. He's acknowledging, he's recognizing the dominance of, of the king of Assyria while emphasizing the, his ignorance about the God of Israel's preeminence. Because he equates the God of Israel with the impotence of the idols. So he's saying he's just like them. No, he's not. He's not. And then he prays for God's glory. Notice the prayer. This is verse 19. This is the conclusion of it. Chapter 19, verse 19. And now, O Lord, our God, I pray, deliver us from the hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Hezekiah's heart was for God's glory. Just like Father David. 
not, not his literal father, but his ancestor. Remember David? We mentioned him last week. 1 Samuel 17. Up against Goliath. You come to me, David says to Goliath, with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, whom you have taunted. Question. When you pray, when I pray, do we pray for deliverance from danger simply for our gain and our good or also for God's glory? Do I pray for simply my gain, my good, or is my prayer also concerned with God's glory? Why am I so upset by the fact that someone would say that prohibiting abortion is dangerous, is evil, is harmful? Is it just because it grates against me? Or is it because it is antithetical to the God whom I serve who says that every created living being is precious in His sight? Created in His image. God's glory is at stake. Do I care about that? Not often enough. Too often it's just about my good. It's just about what do I gain out of it instead of what will glorify the King of Kings. When we're, when we're trying to stand up for God in the job where our employer is pushing back against our religious liberties or when we're in a classroom where we're being forced into saying and doing things that we know are against God's conviction and God's truth and God's word, what are we going to do? Are we going to pray for deliverance for our gain and good and not God's glory? I just uh, saw an incident. I don't know if this person was a Christian or not, but there was a student who was uh, taken out of the classroom because they were in the classroom and they basically they had the audacity to say that there are two genders. And uh, that was taken as an offense by the teacher. And the teacher says, no, you can't, you can't have that position. You can't articulate that position. You have to be removed from the classroom. And the student said, well, I don't have any. Why, why is that? I mean, because there are two genders. I say there's two genders. And other people say there's more than that many genders. Why is that a problem? So these are the kinds of things that there's the pushback for. Folks, do you understand that it is, it is, is an offense to a living God? When young girls at the age of 16 are having hysterectomies and as young as 12 we know documented from uh, not they didn't want us to find this out but we found it out having double mastectomies at the age of 12 because they think they identify as as a as a boy that should turn our stomachs not just because we are offended by it but because it's, it's contrary to God's design. This is barbaric. In the face of danger, but also in the face of death, 
chapter 20, verses, verse 1, he was told, Hezekiah was told, that he was, he was terminally ill. And Isaiah the prophet, uh, the son of Amos, came to him and he said to him, get your stuff in order, get your house in order. You are going to die and you will not live. I believe from 2 Chronicles chapter 32, uh, verses 24 through 25, that the reason for his terminal illness was because of his own arrogance. Yes, he's held up as a stellar guy, but he wasn't perfect, right? So he lapsed into arrogance, and because of his arrogance, he was given this diagnosis of terminal illness, which I think is a caution for all of us as believers. 1 Corinthians 11, I think, is appropriate here. There's some of you are sick and weak, and some of you are dying. Why? Because you are thumbing your nose at God as believers spurning him turning your back again with unrepentant sin so he says okay that's how it's going to be maybe i need to take you home early because you're doing more damage than good to the kingdom of god right now now that's my commentary you can take issue with it if you want but you can read first corinthians 11 you can see this here i think there's this pattern so what 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 does he do what's his response in verses two and three he humbly prays and he boldly prays to the lord I mean, I think he's scared. He doesn't want to die, but he's also repentant. He's weeping bitterly. Why? Just because he's afraid? I think it's because he's repenting of the Lord. And he's remorseful because of what he's done. And he's asking God for forgiveness and an extension of his life. I think it's a refreshing model of what to do in prayer. We go to God in prayer and we say, God, this is what I've done. I've, I've, I've sought to live my life before you. But this is what I deserve. I've sinned against you and I deserve your punishment. And this is what I desire. I desire your mercy. I mean, there's not one of us in here who hasn't lapsed into sin for which we deserve punishment. And, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Yes, we have redemption, we have ultimate salvation, but God will not take lightly, which doesn't mean we have a license to keep on sinning, no. I think we should come to God when there's danger, when there's disease, even when there's a threat of death, because the Lord hears and the Lord helps. So there is this, this reverence for God that we are supposed to exercise, and there is this uh, this reliance upon God that we express, and then we experience relief from the Lord. Now, in those same two conditions, danger and death, we see how his reverence resulted in his deliverance. First of all, in danger. If you go to chapter 19, verse 20, which I skipped over the bulk of that when I was reading, and I think you'd be glad that I did because it would have been really laborious. I'm going to try to summarize it here. What was, what was the result? It says... Jerusalem is delivered, in, in, in he regarded the danger, it's delivered for his own namesake, verse 24. Have you not heard uh, in, in chapter, oh, I'm sorry, verse 34, verse 34. He says, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my, my servant David's sake. He's dem he wants to demonstrate mercy and compassion so that people will know, yeah, God's not a flake and David's not a flake. It's God's honor that's at stake. And so he's going to deliver them for his own sake and for David's sake. That's what God does. He, he delivers for his own sake. So what was the reason for deliverance? Look at verse uh, 20 of chapter 19. Then Isaiah said, to, uh, the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, because you have prayed 
Because you have prayed. Does God answer prayer? Does God care about prayer? He says, because you have prayed, I, I, I'm going to deliver you. The holy, and who is the offense against? Look at verse 22. Whom you have reproached, this is you, the king of Assyria, and blasphemed. And against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes? Verse 22. Against the king of Israel. Against the king of Israel. God doesn't take it lightly. And this king of Israel is the one who was reproached by their messengers. Verse 23, through, the, through your messengers you have reproached the Lord. And you have said, with my many uh, chariots, I came. Now notice the, the personal pronouns here. That's why it's important we get them right. I came up to the heights of the mountains, to the remotest parts of Lebanon. And I cut down all the trees. And I entered the furthest lodging place it's in its thickest force. I dug wells and drank foreign waters. I, I, I. Look at verse 25. God puts him in their place. Have you not heard long ago I did it? <laughs> From ancient times I planned it. This is God speaking. Now I have brought it to pass that you should turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Who's responsible for your success? Not you, Assyria. God, the king of the universe, is responsible for it. And you know what's going to happen as a result of your arrogance and you're spurning me and you're reproaching me? Look at verse 27. You're going to have a hook in your mouth. You're going to be led around like a bridle. You're going to be like an animal. That's God's response to, to, to the arrogance of Sennacherib. Hezekiah's prayer revealed his own dependence. Yeah, it sure did. But it moved God to punish Sennacherib's arrogance. And it resulted in Judah's deliverance in fulfillment of God's promise. Okay? So God's never just about one thing. When we pray, God is working in multiple ways, but he, he, he understood, I'm dependent upon you, Lord. I need your help. And then God moved to punish their, their, uh, their arrogance, and he brought their deliverance for Judah. Now notice how they're delivered. First of all, there's this preservation in verses 29 through 31. There's a preservation. I'm not going to get into all that. They're going, to, they're going to eat from the fruit of the land that it voluntarily brings up two years, and then he says, plant. Faith. T trust me, he says. You're going to have something to eat. Trust me. And then there's this punishment of, of the enemies. The prayer of the man of God unleashed God's power to accomplish God's purpose for God's people. I like what is, what is said uh, the reality of this deliverance is that the, the remnant is preserved in 29 through 31, okay? And it's a remnant that's important because if there was no remnant in, in Judah, there would be no Savior. If there was no remnant in Judah, there'd be no Savior because Jesus is the Lion of Judah who came as a result uh, later down the road, right? So there was importance that there was this remnant that was, that was preserved. And then there's a retreat that's promised in verses 30. Therefore, thus says the Lord, 1932, concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come to this city. Now notice the emphasis. He'll not come to this city or shoot an arrow there. Neither shall he come before it with a shield nor throw up a mound against it. By the way that he came, by the way he shall return. And then... A routing, a routing in verse 35. <clears throat> now remember what Sennacherib has said. 
Don't trust in Hezekiah. Don't trust in his God because he's impotent. He can't do it. He's just like those idols of the other people. He'll never bring deliverance to you. No chance whatsoever. Verse 35, 19, chapter 19. Then it happened that night that the, the angel of the Lord, one angel, just one. We didn't need overkill here. One angel came and took out 185,000 in one fell swoop. In such a supernatural defeat that who would get glory? Hezekiah? Oh, brilliant military strategy. No. Hezekiah's prayer was answered in chapter 19, verse 19. That only the Lord, do, deliver us in such a way that only you could get credit. You, Lord. To whom the Assyrians repeatedly had demeaned, he's the only one to get credit. I think I've told you this story, so bear with me if I have. But uh, uh, this missionary, uh, Doris Ekwad, grew up in, in, uh, in Mongolia, uh, in China, as a missionary kid. And... Uh, like back in the 40s, 50s, okay? And she loved homemade ice cream. And so she prayed, Lord, can we have some homemade ice cream? We'd love to have some homemade ice cream. What do you have to have for homemade ice cream? You have to have milk, and you have to have sugar, and you have to have ice. In the middle of Mongolia, without refrigeration, there's no ice. But God sent a hailstorm. And they had all the ice they needed. And so they made homemade ice cream. They had the goat's milk, and they had the sugar. They just didn't have the ice. God is the God of the impossible. He's able to do what we think is humanly impossible. Despite the overwhelming odds against Jerusalem and Hezekiah, God proved once again, nothing is too difficult for me. We see it in Genesis when Abraham and Sarah are told, you're going to have a child, we see it again in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, when Zechariah and, 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 and Elizabeth are told, you're going to have a child. Is anything too difficult for me? So what is the too difficult thing you're faced with? What is the thing that just is too humanly, it's impossible? you want to trust God for, but you're not sure you, you can. There's no guarantee that he's going to deliver us now, just like he did Hezekiah. There's not some specific promise. But he can. And then the removal was, was actually took place. Exactly what Isaiah told Hezekiah would happen, happened. Look at chapter 19, verse 7. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. It's exactly what happened in chapter 19, verses 35 through 37. Exactly what happened. God answered his prayer. Hezekiah's humble repentance averted God's wrath in regard to death. So that was in regard to danger. Now in regard to death, what is his humble repentance averted death, and he had 15 years added to his life. So, if you're here and you're, you're trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is the thing for me. Um, understand <clears throat> that, realize that our rebellion can result in 
sickness, weakness, or taken home early. So we should repent. Why? Because even though the door may seem to be closed, God will open the door through our humble repentance and brokenness and, and trust. So realize we're in trouble if we're sinning. Repent and re- be restored and remain faithful in prayer because God is able to do what's humanly impossible. I and mean, we could have testimonies. I, I just talked to somebody this morning that if you'd have said two years ago that this was going to be true of what's happening with that person's child, you would have said, <clears throat> humanly, it's impossible. But it's happening. And it's all good for, for God's glory. There's no promise here that our heart, uh, that our heart uh, for God will always result in earthly deliverance. No promise here. But there is proof that God will deliver. If it's not here, it will be later. But ultimately, He's in control and He cares about us. Now, if you're here this morning, you're listening online, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never turned and trusted in Jesus Christ and His death alone as a payment for your sin, never turned from your sin and trusted Him, here's the deal. Uh, What happened to the people who stood in arrogance against God? What was the consequence for those people who were reproaching the living God? I'm saying don't go there because it's not a good end, okay? God will take you out. God will ruin you. And it's not pretty. So don't trust Christ and be saved. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's encouragement. He who believes in him will have life. Jesus, I'm the resurrection of life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? If you don't, I'm inviting you to. If you do, then take heart. Because the hope of God's people is not that this is our best life. The hope of God's people is that our best life is coming. All right? And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, with hostilities on the outside, with hostilities on the inside, conflict within, conflict without, guess what? The hope that we have is that Christ is coming. The hope that we have is that God hears those whose heart are perfect towards them, and he helps us along the way. This is the encouragement. He wants us to live reverently. He wants us to live reliantly, and he will bring relief. And this morning, you know, as, as we close... We practice and we promote reverence. We practice and we promote reverence for and reliance upon God as we take the bread and the cup. Because as we take the bread and the cup, we remember that he did it for us, providing our salvation and providing us with strength and spiritual power to live victoriously in this life. At the cross, he proved he's worth our reverence. He proved that he wants our repentance and reliance. And He also proved that he works for our relief. So we're saved and we're sustained by the grace that we remember at the the cross. Let's pray. Father, um, I pray that as we take these elements, that we'd be uh, reminded of your reverence. We'd be reminded of the fact that you are worthy of our reverence, that you want our repentance and faith, and that you work for our relief. You've offered yourself on the cross to give us the relief from the the most detrimental thing in our life, which is sin, which condemns us to hell, and we thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound.